grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. helps him in 
every way that he can. Now, there are many things about this parable that we, we tend to, to focus on. There is the way that the hated foreigner shows up the pious Jews. The Samaritan obeys the Lord's law better than the priest and the Levite, even better than the teacher of the law, who is the one who asked Jesus in order to justify himself, and who is my neighbor? There's also the shame that the two men in the parable, whose hearts should be extraordinarily well aligned with God's, they choose not to help a man in obvious need. And then there's the surprise that a stranger, an alien in the land, who certainly had reasons not to get involved, chooses to help and spares no effort or expense in doing so. But in focusing on what the various characters in the parable do or do not do, we can easily end up overlooking what is motivating the context made clear that Jesus was teaching a lesson about, about what it means to love your neighbor. But we can be more specific than love. What did the priest and the Levite value? What did they see when they noticed the man who had been stripped, beaten, robbed, and left for dead? They saw trouble. Or at least that's what we can reasonably infer. The thought of helping, well, it might have entered their minds, but it wouldn't have lingered long, because almost immediately they would have seen that their own interests would not have been well served by intervening. Those robbers that had attacked the man might still be lurking around. They wouldn't want to draw attention to themselves. They had some place to be. And who knows how much time it would take to help this man with so many obvious needs. And what may very well have been the deciding concern, if the man was dead and they touched him, or died while they were in contact with him, they would become ceremonially unclean and unable to perform their duties which would be a hassle. But the Samaritan, when he saw the crime victim lying there, valued something other than his safety, his time, his resources, his other commitments. He valued the man and his life. And because of that, he stopped tended to his wounds, took him to an inn, and provided generously for the man's care, and committed to do even more if necessary. He put that man's interests far ahead of his own. And when Jesus asked after the parable, which of these guys was a loving neighbor to the man who was robbed, he put everyone who hears or reads the story on the spot. Whose interests do you put first? 
In our reading from Philippians, the Apostle Paul points us to the prime example of selflessly putting others' needs and concerns ahead of your own. Christ himself. It is his attitude that we are called to imitate in our dealings with other people. And it is a very good thing that we have Jesus to look to. Because on our own, we always value ourselves above others and put our interests ahead of everyone else's. And that is failing to love our neighbor. And that is sin. It's not only selfishness. It's also a form of idolatry. Placing yourself and your wants and desires above God and his and centering your will and actions on yourself instead of on him. Now, how might you do this? You learn something interesting about a friend, a neighbor, a fellow church member. It's not exactly complimentary. And no one said you could spread it around, but it is just so juicy that you've got to tell someone just, just to show that you're the kind of person who knows these kinds of things. Or you have a family member in the hospital, long term, and you know how much a visit from you could mean, but it's just so depressing and troublesome. So you make up reasons not to go. Or you head to the grocery store, and you see that the parking lot is really full. And while you were waiting at the light, you noticed a blue car circling the lot, looking for a spot near the entrance. And after the light changes and you go in, you, you're pulling in, and, and you see someone pull, just starting to pull out. And so you press on the gas, and you're able to slip in just in time to see the old man in the blue car turn the corner. And you say to yourself, hey, you snooze, you lose. Of course, there are much more extreme examples of putting your interests ahead of others. Treating another person's body as just a, a thing to give you pleasure. Arranging the death of an ailing relative to put her out of your misery. Stealing the fruits of someone else's labors because it's so much easier than working for it yourself. Even killing someone because his or her existence on the street, in the house next door, at your hospital, in your girlfriend's womb. That person's existence has become bothersome to you. And all of it is damning sin. Whether it is simple selfishness or advanced unkindness. And what we deserve for it all, as with all sin, is death and hell. And so, so we thank God. God, with everything that we have and are, that his son is nothing like us in our selfishness 
and was instead entirely and sacrificially selfless. In love, the Father had determined to save this world of full of sinners, and in love, the Son consented to be sent and to suffer, to live and to die, all so that the guilty and undeserving could be made innocent and worthy of heaven. He could have just stayed on his glorious throne, undisturbed by the plight of sin-cursed, sin-practicing humans. And even if he came to earth, he could have simply demanded the glory and service that was due him and determined not to be bothered with other people's problems. But no, Jesus went all the way, setting aside his divine power and prerogatives to take the form of a servant, to be a man like us. And he chose to suffer the pains and indignities that would pay the price of every sin ever committed by every person. <coughs> he put each of us and all of us together first. He humbled himself for the sake of sinners and rebels. And he succeeded in saving us. Because he went to the cross and died there, and then rose again, refusing to remain dead in the tomb they had laid him in. Because of what he did, all who put their trust in him and his selfless sacrifice have their sins forgiven, have a renewed relationship with the Father, and have eternal life. That is love. And it's a very special kind of love. It's not the love that is so common in love songs these days. You make me feel good, so I love you. A love that, that seems to focus on the other person, but ends up really being only and all about the one doing the loving. Christ's love, God's love, is completely other-centered, which is why he was willing to sacrifice himself to save us. And that is the kind of love that we are called on to show toward each other and to show to everyone. It's what Paul is talking about in these verses from Philippians. He appeals to the, the spiritual and, and even emotional foundation each of us has as a redeemed child of God. Encouragement in Christ. Comfort from his love. Fellowship with the Spirit. Affection and compassion. And then he brings it all and all of us together, encouraging us to be like-minded, to love with the same Christ-like, other-centered love, and to be united in spirit, and to have one mind. So, not an occasional or merely organizational unity, 
a true and thorough oneness. And if we take his instructions seriously, if we commit ourselves to being the kind of Christians that we were called and created to be, then we will not do anything out of selfish ambition or be motivated by empty conceit. We will follow our Savior's example of humility and valuing others above ourselves. We will look not to our own self-centered interests, but to the interests of others. Now that is a wonderful ideal, isn't it? But how close is it to our reality? Each of us still has a sinful nature that constantly tells us that the only interests that matter are our own. And even when we're doing a, a pretty good job following God's interests, desires, and priorities, when we're nurturing, growing, and living out our faith, when we're being good stewards of our, our health, our life, resources, when we're being effective and useful in our various vocations, even then, we can easily lose sight of other people and their needs. That's why the Bible is full of encouragements, even commandments, that tell us to look carefully to the interests of others. In the great marriage section of, of Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love their wives with the same kind of love that Christ had for the church, which he died for. In the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, we are all instructed in a love that actively puts the other first. And in many places, we are told to look out for those who are not able to look out for their own interests. The poor, the oppressed, the weak, the sick, the hidden, the abused. A reading earlier from Proverbs 31 specifically tells us to speak up for and to defend the rights of such people. And you might say that that it is the particular area of emphasis or, or the mission of my organization, Christian Life Resources. We educate, equip, and organize fellow believers who want to put the interests of the unborn, the unseen, the vulnerable, and the defenseless ahead of their own. We got started over 40 years ago, working one-on-one -on -one with mothers in crisis to convince them not to abort their babies, while also pointing them to Jesus. That is still a huge part of what we do. We have a network of 11 pregnancy care centers. But for a long time now, we have also provided a, a, a wealth of resources and assistance on a wide range of life and, and family issues. Because we want to actually engage with people 
act or argue in ways that, that put up walls between us. Instead, we use these issues as bridges to share the gospel, even as we work to, to speak up for and defend the people that, that we all, as Christians, know are most in need of our love and service. Now, there are plenty of pro-life organizations that fight against abortion and other evils. And they're usually engaged more in politics and the public square. And that is fine. That's what they do. But we don't use that language, fighting, in the first place because it puts up walls when you identify the other side as the enemy. But also because our goal as a Christian organization is not scoring points in a contest or, or winning a battle, even though, for instance, we rejoiced at the win when the Supreme Court recently overturned the Roe v. Wade decision that had legalized abortion everywhere in the U.S. But Christian Life Resources, as a Christ-centered organization, is all about lives and souls. And that's part of why almost 30 years ago, we started New Beginnings, a home for single mothers, which is located now in Milwaukee. It wasn't enough to be working to make sure babies were born. We needed to be working also to support mothers who had kept their babies, but who needed to unlearn the bad habits of generational poverty and to learn the parenting social and occupational skills they need in order to give their children the best possible start on life. Now everything that we do, we do on behalf of our supporters, people like you. But there are many other things that, that you can do in your life and in your own situations in order to look out for the interests of others, as all believers are called to do. The simple humility of not assuming that you know everything, and others know nothing, can be a game changer in all sorts of relationships and circumstances. Not insisting that whenever you have a need or desire, it must be met immediately is a huge first step in putting the interests of your spouse, children, or parents first and, and loving them better. When you follow Christ's example and apply these words of Paul to all the areas of your life, you will find it changes a lot, or at least changes how you think about a lot of things, how you deal with the people, above you, below you, and at the same level, at work and in school. How you drive, how you date, how you deal with your neighbors, how you communicate, how you use social media, <coughs> how you behave in public, even how you vote. Now to our old Adam, 
our sinful nature. All of that sounds like a drag, a pain, a hassle. And frankly, in our society today, being pro-life on issues like abortion, assisted suicide, euthanasia, embryo experimentation and such can seem like a, a recipe for nothing but anger and conflict. But it is a lie to think that the only way to be happy or to have fun or to know peace is to put ourselves first ahead of others. Being like Jesus is actually and always the best way to be. And Paul's language here in Philippians reminds us of all the blessings that come with living and loving as God's beloved children. Things like encouragement, comfort, unity, affection, compassion, and joy. So much of what is anti-life anti-family, anti-marriage, anti-health, and anti-truth in our culture is supremely self-centered, selfish ambition and empty conceit. Valuing others above ourselves, valuing their lives no matter who or what they are, and putting their needs first will be a breath of fresh air to the people around us. It makes Christians stand out for all the right reasons as witnesses to, to both the life of love that Jesus gave for us and the salvation that we offer to everyone we can. And it builds the kinds of relationships that everyone longs to have. This is the mission that we all share as individuals, as the church as a whole, and as Salem Lutheran Church. So it's not just one mission Sunday out of the year. Make it your life's goal and your everyday practice. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look to the interests of others. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.